And what's interesting now is that marketing is accountable for revenue all the way through, and sales is accountable for, for originating opportunities and doing a lot of their own marketing. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Thursday, and in these episodes, we focus on one of two things. We'll either be sharing one of our favorite and most actionable talks from a Flip My Funnel event, or you'll hear Sangram and someone from the Terminus team discuss how they're getting better in a specific functional area of Terminus's business. And remember, like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. I want to thank everybody for uh, being patient with us today. So we've asked, we've got a really great group of C-level executives, executive level people from both marketing and sales on the revenue side. Um, I think throughout the day, you've heard talk about alignment, about one team. Um, we're going to get some executive level perspective on what that means. I think the other thing is the common takeaways that I'm looking forward to hearing about. I think there's, you know, ABM is B2B we heard about, but also I think there's some some definite realities around what does ABM technology look like as it relates to marketing automation, how those two maybe play together. So we've got some great executives that can share some great perspectives. So I'm going to introduce them one by one to come up and join us, and then uh, we'll get started with the last session. So first, I'd like to introduce Joe Chernoff. Joe is CMO with Pendo. Most of you might know Joe. Very experienced executive, has worked with several marketing automation folks. Uh, I, I first met uh, Joe at uh, Eloqua. He's also worked with HubSpot, uh, really insightful, one of the top CMOs that we like to uh, talk to. I've also heard it from a uh, reliable source today. Maybe tomorrow maybe Joe's birthday, so we've got to be extra nice to him. Joe, thanks for joining us. Sure. Next, I'd like to introduce Robin Rittenauer. Robin is global head of uh, B development partnerships with People AI, which is a cool new company I've heard a few speakers mention today. Uh, you also may know Robin from Marketo. Robin spent a lot of time in Marketo. I, that's where I got to know her, but somebody that really knows the B2B space really well, so we're happy to share perspective. And then Jamie Punishel with uh, CMO of Lionbridge. Again, as a good fan base, uh, Jamie's got some great perspective from the CMO side and an interesting perspective on where they are as a brand. Evan Liang, who is the CEO of Lean Data, actually helped us uh, moderate the session last time and did so well. We asked him back. So, Evan, without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to you to get started with the panel. Thanks to the group. Hey, everyone. I'm really, really excited to have this really distinguished panel. And uh, we have two folks from Boston on the panel. And I think we have all, basically all the major startup companies as well as marketing automation companies represented on this panel. I think when we're getting together, we have Marketo, Eloqua, HubSpot, Salesforce, so we pretty much have it covered. So I think the perspectives that they can provide will be really, really fascinating. Our goal is to kind of provide you guys with kind of a, an executive level, a high level overview of kind of some of the themes you've heard here. So my first question to the panel is really around, let's talk about, tell us a little bit about your B2B uh, go-to-market strategies and what challenges you are facing there and try to answer uh, Sangram's question. Uh, is ABM really just B2B? So. Joe, it's your birthday. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so can I say it's my birthday when there's a question I don't want to answer? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you get a That's pass. more valuable than this way. Um, I don't think ABM is, I love Sangram, but I don't think ABM is B2B. I don't think they're the same thing. I think one is in part, one is nope. a strategy, and it's a strategy for plenty of companies. But if you sell a, I don't know, $500 a year piece of software, do you, can you really run a targeted account program at a market that size? That just doesn't add up for me. Again, all respect to Sangram, I think he's just wrong on that. All right, so our go-to-market, it's pretty conventional at, at Pendo. We've got you know content and brand, yep. we've got demand, and who would own ABM? 
and we have product marketing. The, the challenge is, um, I think we have one challenge that's unique to us. And like every company has a challenge or more that's specific to them. And for us, it's like the company's headquartered in Raleigh. And in some ways, that's a blessing. It's really good for PR. Some ways it's a challenge because it's a little bit harder to get noticed on the coasts when you're not on the coast. Well, Raleigh's close, but you know, we're not in the Bay Area. We're not in Boston. We're not in New York. And that presents, a, that presents us with a brand awareness challenge uh, geographically. Every company has their own version of that, right? When we were at Elico, we had Marketo nipping at our heels incessantly. And there was, you know, there was a price war that emerged from that. Every company has its own unique challenge. I think a challenge that B2B SaaS companies have that's common to all is you spend a lot of money on marketing, marketing programs, marketing headcount, ABM software, going to events. You spend a lot of money on sales, expensive reps, bonuses, spiffs, and all of that. And marketing and sales both funnel into a role called the BDR or the SDR. And it's kids right out of college. So you have all this money and all this horsepower being pumped into these programs. And the rubber meets the road with somebody right out of college. And I think the system falls apart at that point. It's really, really hard to get that part of the motion correct. It's like, you know, a really expensive car with really cheap tires. It's just, uh, it's, there's a flaw to it. Robin? I, I concur with Joe on ABM not being B2B. I actually think that the way we define ABM is a little antiquated. It came up a number of years ago, and I think that you know, we'll talk probably a little bit later about customer experience and the convergence. But you know, B2C and B2B have very similar motions and, uh, around customer experience. Challenges on go-to-market. I was going to say, you know, what startup in this market doesn't have challenges on go-to-market? <laughs> So the, the two that we're struggling with from a people AI perspective is we have so much churn on the sales side, not because of from a customer, from a product perspective or a, or a company perspective, but just because salespeople come in and out all the time, especially as the company's growing. So, you know, being able to, to manage them effectively is one of our, our, our big, biggest challenges. The, there's, the other challenge is really around marketing and making sure that, you know, the sales and the marketing, while the funnels are converged, there's still an expectation on what each of them are supposed to be doing for each other um, in an old traditional sense. And we're starting to collapse those together too from a, from a data perspective. I'm saying, look, there's not gonna be marketing attribution. And from a sales perspective, um, in this day and age, we've got to set up new processes for sales to originate opportunities as opposed to waiting for, for marketing to, to hand them over from an, you know, a, a traditional process perspective. And then the last one is from my perspective, I'm, I've been building ecosystems for years. And in this day and age, startup has to have a big ecosystem in order to penetrate quickly because you can't buy enough salespeople or enough, build enough capacity in order to penetrate against competitors or perceived competitors in the marketplace. So those are probably the three things that we're working on uh, from a go-to-market perspective. I guess I'll just pile on to the ABM B2B thing. I wasn't here for the question. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll put my old, I used to work at Forrester, I'll put my old Forrester hat on. I think one of the more frustrating things about being an analyst is you would come up with a term and you would very cleanly define it and then you watch everybody co-opt it and screw it up. Um, and, and I say that because I don't think the words ABM or B2B mean the same thing to any two people in this room. So the idea that B2B is ABM depends a lot on what your definition of B2B and ABM are, which once again, I'd be willing to bet if we had it, all the submissions of all those definitions, we would we'd cluster at best. I, look, I think the, you know, just picking up on that, the, the, the reality is, and it's, it's our biggest challenge, you know, we're 
Um, we're a company going through, a, we're a big, we're probably the biggest company on the stage. We're going through a big transformation, all new executive team, um, whole new marketing team, whole new management team, whole new sales and marketing motion. And we're about 18 months into this new tech stack, new process, um, new everything. And so we not only have the 25 year olds who are, are fresh in and on the other end of this and new to our industry, just to make the problem even more special. You just um, aged them by four years. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's true. Or maybe they're staying in college longer. <laughs> but I, you know, I think there's this intellectual understanding that the sales and marketing motions are different, but it's still, it still runs against people's nature. And so in the end, I still, I can have the, as many discussions as I want with our CRO and we'll agree that there's this new model we're moving towards. And I'll still get the emails asking me if I've reduced the spend because he noticed that leads dropped for the month, right? And I, so I, I just, I, I think we can't underestimate still early we are in the van, evangelism and education cycle on the transformation of, of these things. And we're speaking to people who just have, 10, 15, 20, 25 years of looking at the world through this old lens. And you just, you know, there's this old uh, uh, aphorism, right? Uh, adults adopt, right? And kids internalize. And I think most of the people in the room have probably internalized what we think the new motion is and what ABM is or could be yeah. and what that looks like. And everybody else that we're talking to is like your grandmother with a cell phone. She's using it, but... Right. And so, you know, it's not your, you know, it's not the three-year-old who picks up the iPad and just naturally seems to figure it out. And, and I think that's a lot of what all of us are conti will continue to deal with. Interestingly, though, I've always been on the vendor side and I saw plenty of analysts take a beautiful, simple term that I gave them and then overcomplicate the hell out of it. So <laughs> that argument could be made either way. Okay. <laughs> and, and building up on that theme and maybe sticking with you, Jamie, is kind of this, this technology is changing so much and the terms that we're using every day. So talk a little bit from the marketing perspective on the evolution of MarTech and what you're seeing from the executive perspective. Yeah. I mean, I think I said this on the prep call and I say it all the time, right? I mean, they're being a CMO these days and having, I probably take, I probably dedicate about 10% of my week to listening to vendor pitches. And I do that um, so one, please don't call me. I, I promise you my schedule is, is packed out, but, but I do that because, because I think the, the imperative to learn for me and, and to catch the information flow makes me believe this is a worthwhile use of my time, but it is maddening. It is beyond maddening to be a CMO trying to make technology decisions right now. The vendors come and go, people are fighting over the definition set, everybody is absolutely sure that they do the same thing. I mean, I have to tell you what the Brinker chart looks like, right? I officially now need glasses, thanks to Scott. And, I, like, and I'm, I'm taking a new approach to this because I think the only thing that most companies do worse than building stuff is integrating it. And so from my perspective, you know, we're, we're going to lean into as few partners as possible because um, it's just too hard. It's too hard to make it all work. And you go back to what I said before, we're trying to get a sales organization, a board, a CEO to believe in a new model, I can't then throw 28 tools. And, and, and you know, Cynthia who works for me is in the audience or will push back on me all the time on this because we are like, you know, we've rolled seismic down the pipe and we've rolled drift down the pipe and, you know, lean data is down the pipe and, and the salespeople are still trying to figure out you know, where the bathroom is in the office because they're new. Um, and I got 27 new technologies, um, to, to, which is all great, but their heads are spinning. Just want to know, what do I do? Like, who do I call and how do I make money? 
So I, I think it, we shouldn't underestimate how hard it is for the receiving organizations to ingest and just execute well on any one of the amazing technologies that are out here, much less the 27. Same question to you, Robin, especially given uh, Jamie teed you up so nicely about ecosystems. Well, it's, it's interesting. Uh, at Marketo, we had well over 1,200 ISVs in our ecosystem, but I don't think people realize that. Um, and of course, I had to listen to vendor vendor pitches every day <laughs> to our ecosystem. And, and what's interesting is that being on the side of, and it was pitching to us to become a partner, was that they all started to sound the same. It was very difficult to actually understand what the value differentiator is. And I feel sorry for the consultancies out there. I was talking to uh, one of the CEOs today, and you know, when I started talking to him eight years ago, he had 25 technologies. He now is well over, I think it was 500 or 800 now, that his consultancies have to understand in order to to be uh, relevant to their end customers. So I, I think a couple things. I actually think there's going to be uh, a collapse. Um, when you look at you know, Brinker, I've, I've been watching that, that landscape. And it's not just on the MarTech side. Yeah. It's on the sales tech. It's on the BI side. Um, as startups continue to grow, what's going to happen is they're going to lose oxygen and they're not going to have enough. They're all going to look the same. They're going to, whoever penetrates the fastest, it doesn't mean that it's the best technology is going to win. And honestly, the value of what they're going to sell, and we were talking about this earlier too, is not necessarily the capability that they're developing, but it's the data that they're spending off. And that's actually going to be the value of a lot of these in the next two, three years. And so they're, it's going to, we're going to see the big ecosystem of, you know, today my value is in the stack, oh, it's the ABM, but it's really what is the, or, or I'm a, a content producer, but it's really what is the intent data that I'm getting from that content and the value of that intent data, you know, to the end customer because the funnel's collapsing and I need to be able to figure out who, what that person wants and the predictive buying patterns of, of my, you know, end uh, customer. I have a lot of thoughts on this, and most of them conflict with each other. <laughs> not the other panelists, just within yourself. Yeah. <laughs> it's not quite whiskey o'clock, Joe. <laughs> if, if I came up here an hour ago, I would have a different answer than I will right now, and an hour later, it would be different still. Uh, look, on, on one hand, there are too many companies, and VCs hold their nose when you mention MarTech. So on that regard, I feel like you know there is probably going to be a reconciliation. On the other hand, I've been hearing about this reconciliation since 2010, and it hasn't happened. But then on the other hand, something is fundamentally wrong when we were using Marketo and our lead scoring product cost more than Marketo. Like, there's, some, there's a problem there, right? The car stereo shouldn't cost more than the vehicle, and yet it did. And so that told me that something was off. But then on the other hand, it's like you shed a layer of skin and there's another layer under it. Like, so these vendors go away. The industry is still changing quickly. The pace of change is outpacing my decision, my ability to keep up with it. And I rely on you, rely on vendors to be your eyes and ears for you for 10% of your time. So to some degree, whatever is next, there are people that are more plugged in than any of us working on what's next right now. And oughtn't they just replace whoever is shed from this layer? So like I said, my, I, I can talk about this yeah. extensively, but I don't have one harmonious point on it because there's a lot to reconcile here. Yeah, and then as, as we were talking about, like, what about the, I mean, uh, well, for a long time, MarTech was growing like crazy, right? And more recently, we've seen a big explosion of sales tech, right? So what are you guys seeing from an executive perspective on the sales tech side? So maybe let's go back sure. down the other way. 
Well, I'll say the, the problem with MarTech is that there's not enough innovation coming out of the marketing automation companies, right? Like that's, that's what we should be looking yeah. for our roll-up. Like Pendo is a, a roll-up of best-in-class product analytics and guidance yeah. solutions, right? And it's an all-in-one solution. There really isn't that all-in-one for MarTech, not for, you know, maybe on the SMB side with HubSpot, but not like for larger companies. And we as, as buyers are longing for that. And yet we're not getting that. They're just, we're just getting like better email deliverability, right? Like we want the innovation from those systems of record. And, and it's, so I think that's one of the challenges here in MarTech. On the sales tech side, I think what one of you mentioned is it's kind of the same motion. And they're like, you know, it's like uh, DNA strains that, uh, strands that tangle with each other. Like you need both of them to be working. And so I think what you get is, you know, sales ops and marketing ops become revenue ops. I know it's something we want yep. to touch on. I think we're seeing sales tech and marketing tech being like, go to market tech. I'm not trying to coin a new term, oh. but they have to work together. And I bought a lot of software that like customer success picked up 30% of it. Sales picked up 30%. I carried the other 40% in marketing. I think you'll see more of that. Yeah. And then for you, Robin, maybe take up the RevOps question. Uh, just because I think if I have each of you go through each of the questions, we'll run out of time. Because we have, we're, we're, you guys love so on the RevOps side, what, do you, what are your thoughts on RevOps? Do you see like these techs coming together like Joe talked about and... About that. It's funny, I can remember, because I've been in the industry for a really long time, um, when marketing would stop, you know, in terms of the technology and in terms of the process and handle lead to sales, and then sales would take it. And what's interesting now is that marketing is accountable for revenue all the way through, and sales is accountable for, for originating opportunities and doing a lot of their own marketing. And so when you take a look at MarTech and AdTech and RevOps, um, the Venn diagram around the technology is, is overlapping like crazy right now. And when you take a look at RevOps, and, and again, we, we, didn't, we haven't talked about AI, and that's actually a really big topic right now. What's gonna happen is there, again, we're gonna talk about data. RevOps is gonna have to take a look at the data across everything. And even some of the new, we'll call it metadata or activity data, because customers, you know, intent, um, where customers are coming into the funnel, um, sales and marketing, I, it's funny, our CMO uh, and I had a discussion before I came on this panel and he said, I don't think I'm going to attribute marketing to leads anymore. <laughs> he goes, I don't, I'm just going to start measuring where they come in and then how do we manage them? You know, are we managing them through a process? And so, you know, again, I think RevOps is now becoming, when you look at customer experience and you're taking a look at, you know, we're going to spend about this B2C and B2B, but Toys R Us, Fortune had an article yesterday that Toys R Us is back. And Toys R Us is back because they're creating an experience for kids on the toys and they're learning from it. And then from that, they're actually going to start taking a look at selling those toys, not just from a product perspective, but managing it through the funnel. And it's the same thing from a business perspective on B2B. We're, we are everywhere. Buyers are ubiquitous. So how do you connect with them? And it's you know, sometimes no longer around the sales and marketing. So RevOps is, is the growth funnel. I think that that's, that's the big change. For you, Jamie, as you said, you are at the largest company and you worked at some large companies. How are these terms and the idea of sales and marketing working together, RevOps? Is that percolating up to you guys? How are you guys thinking about that? Or I think, yes. I mean, it's, it's a conversation I've had with our, you know, certain members of the board, right? Certainly the, the, the folks, you know, concentrating on the revenue and the sales and the marketing function, although I'm not sure it carries over to the more financially oriented members <laughs> of the board, right? But I guess I have a, a couple of thoughts. One on the sort of the consolidation 
you know, it's, it's useful to take a step back and think about where we are just on the sort of the curve of adoption of marketing automation mm -hmm. and some of the, those core capabilities. Because it's easy on the one hand to say they're not innovating fast enough. And there's a piece of that that's true. There's, there's another view, which is they've still not fully penetrated the marketplace, right? They haven't gone mature and into saturation. We're kind of at that point now, right? I think you know, when I talk to Adobe, I talk to Oracle, I talk to Salesforce, you talk to the major platforms, they've now got a fairly well integrated story and that I think is going to, I think you're going to start to see that as your baseline foundation, right, of, of, of an ecosystem that'll make whether it's revenue or, or marketing or sales jobs a lot easier, right? And you can debate does Adobe get there faster than Salesforce from the marketing side or the sales side? It, who knows? And I'm not sure that it matters, right? Because there'll be a couple of key players. And then those are the ecosystems that matter. But it, that brings you now to, to Robin's point, which is the vast majority of you, I bet, would argue that you have crappy data. Uh, not just a little bad, but it's dirty and a mess. And that's, I, I say that not to be mean because we all have it, right? You know, every one of us has got the drunk uncle at Thanksgiving behind the curtains, except the whole AI discussion is a moot point if you have crappy data, right? And, and you know, uh, my team is probably sick of hearing me say this, right? There are two ways to clean up a polluted river. There's the sewage treatment facility, which is easy to size and fund. And there is to stop polluting the damn river, right? And so we're engaged right now in a full-fledged war with the salespeople over how data gets into the system because they just keep, no matter what Cynthia and I do to clean up the system so that I can actually do some AI, um, <laughs> right? And do some predictive sort of analysis on it. They just keep polluting the system because, whoa, now we're responsible for leads. So that which brings me to the next thing. Don't underestimate how many sort of philosophies and changes and things are in motion right now. Sales is going through a massive transformation. Marketing's going through a transformation some companies, you've got the digital leader driving a piece of this transformation, product, customer success. Who knows where this gets settled in the next four or five years? Um, uh, but it's clear that pieces of those are going to get represented in different ways as one sort of holistic um, foundation. But underneath it, the people that are in the best position are the ones that are already today paying attention to data, right? Because there is no AI universe there, there's, there's, there's no universe at all if you've got crappy data, right? You can't get attribution right, even if you should have attribution. Never mind anything that's predictive. You're you know, connecting your first party, your third party. I mean, trying to do anything with intent isn't going to matter if you're relying on crappy data, which is what most of us have. Perfect. I'll let you guys respond because I know you guys, this is a topic you guys are also passionate about. I think I might be the drunk uncle, I just realized. Um, <laughs> um, somebody's got to be right if everybody has one. There's always um, one. I, like, the reason I joined Pendo is, uh, one of the reasons is there's a type of data that is clean and that marketers aren't taking advantage of. And it's how your customers are using your product. It doesn't get messed up with data pen services. We don't rely on reps to enter it manually. It's their usage. And that to me is a bastion of data that marketers can be and should be taking advantage of for selling into their base, for understanding what features are more popular than others, for understanding what a good feature launch looks like versus a failed feature launch. So I am 100% in alignment with uh, other panelists who talk about the primacy of data. I just think there is a very valuable 
pool of drinkable water, right? And, um, and, we're, and we're just letting it sit there stagnant. And that's something marketers could take advantage of. Yeah, it's funny. So you talked earlier about this ecosystem of technology that will replace the next the next you know set of of uh, technology. And I actually think so. You joined Pendo for the sales data, and I joined People AI for the activity data. <laughs> um, and again, I left Martech because I realized I took a year off, and I was talking to these guys about it. And is that you know again from a data perspective, where the only way that you can drive AI and the, then the only way that you can drive automation is through you know a clean set of data. And there's so much data out there now. The question is, how do you compile it, and then how do you create usable insights and repeatable usable insights? And then you know and again, Pendo is looking at one set of data. We're looking at another, and actually we complement each other extremely well from a data partnership. And so you know again. I think that you know an AI and data perspective CRM kind of met a certain level of, of transformation, and now it's how do we extend from CRM into the next? You know, we used to talk about CRM as the la the layer of agility around ERP, mm -hmm. and now we're talking about this extended data layer as the layer of agility around CRM. So we just keep moving up the stack, and I think that's actually you know where we are. It's like how how do we, from a data perspective? Um, actually function and what's the value of the data against the customers that we're trying to capture and convert. Well, and if you really want your head to spin, right, you, and take yourself out, where what we'll be talking about in three years between, you know, conversational marketing and drift and sort of all that unstructured stuff coming in this way, um, you know, the conversicas and, you know, others that are, uh, or idios, right, recording conversations is that we're about to move into an unstructured capture land, which will both allow us to not have to rely on imperfect uh, input sources, but flood us Right. with an unbelievable array of data that we've got to even figure out how to put structure and, and order to. And then that 21-year-old has to have a conversation with the person that we <laughs> brought in through all of this but, incredible but at least, Whether it's chat or Instagram or whatever, at least we'll be able to capture it. It still breaks at the end. Like going back to the beginning, it still breaks at the end. Well, one thing that uh, probably uh, because people focus so much on technology that they don't talk as much about, but this panel was really pa passionate about, was what's the role of brand, right? We spent all this time talking about data and the digital. What's the role of brand? Because that's another big, huge component for marketers. So we have Maria Pergolino in the crowd. <laughs> and like I joked once that if uh, every company that published a definitive guide gave Maria a dollar, she'd never have to work again. Like, <laughs> and she started the definitive guides. And, and, and that set in motion this like crazy era of like marketing uh, program transparency. Like, you know, everybody is very eager to say how they market and what their playbook looks like and what tools they use. And so it's very easy to ape another company's marketing program in a really great marketer's marketing program. There are technology in place that allow you to build products, MVPs, without really even needing to know how to code. The barrier to bringing a product to market and then marketing that product has never been lower. So what brand allows you to do is have some way to create some level of moat because everything else is copyable. Everything else is like imitatable from your program to your product itself, but your brand isn't. And so I think that we've sort of come full circle and like there was a time that you'd hold your nose and like brand marketers, good luck finding a job. And suddenly like I wanted brand in my title because it's back. 
Uh, and it's back because of all of these other dimensions that I mentioned. So customer marketing, I, there was a shift where the customer became the brand in a lot of, in other words, they used the customers to amplify the brand. Yep. And more importantly, the demand signals from the customers are now being used to help develop the product and help drive a better product market fit. And so, you know, I remember you, know, you look at Mad Men and they used to drive, you know, they, well, I, we don't care what the customer thinks. This is who our brand is and this is what we're going to sell. As opposed to now, it's like, well, what are the demand signals and why aren't these customers buying uh, one and two? The intent, you know, what, the, I have a high expectation. We were talking about the hotel as an example. It's new, and the Encore in um, Las Vegas is not as new. And they were joking with me saying, you know, I have high expectations. And I'm like, yeah, I do. And you know what? If they marketed to me, you know, one way, I'd probably come here because it's, you know, it's newer. And again, my expectations can now be measured. So how does that actually fit into how you drive the brand and how you, you, you know, move the brand both from a competitive perspective? Because your competitors' intent can be measured, too to be able to meet my, my expectations. So actually, I think brand has changed a lot and because of the expectations of the customer and the ability to measure that. Look, I think to, to Joe's point, we all we move off of things that are universally true. Brand has always been important. It will always be important. We forget that sometimes because we chase whatever the latest shiny object is or something that helps us work around it, right? You know, your articulation is understanding what people want, <laughs> that they feel is, has always been important, and it will uh, uh, always be important. I, you know, for me, the, 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 the biggest change in brand is brand used to be a promise of what you could get, and there was a very long distance between when you were introduced to a brand and when you might experience it, right? And, and now, you know, there's a very short gap between a branded message um, and emotional creation set and when it moves into an experiential, right, sort of dimensionality. And that, that to me is the biggest change. But the, brand, the fact that brand is and always has been important fundamentally hasn't, uh, I, I don't think, has shifted, right? Understanding what data sets do we use to understand the users, um, to understand the buyers, to understand where, they're, where they are emotionally, where their needs are, where they are in the buying cycle, Again, our tools have changed, our timeframes have changed, the mediums have changed, the data sets have changed. Underneath, it's the same stuff that they were doing in the 50s. Perfect. Well, one of the great things about uh, having a great panel is just time flies. So uh, we're actually over time, but I think these guys have done a great job of kind of highlighting some of the themes that you guys are hearing. Uh, they'll be around for a few minutes. I know there's a happy hour as well. So if you have additional questions, please come up and, and ask them. It's, it's always a pleasure to have such uh, distinguished guests uh, sharing their perspective. So thank you guys, and let's give the, the, the panelists a round of applause. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.